We meet today in Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 8. We're looking at a morning prayer, the trials of the godly in Israel. Psalm 3 to Psalm 7 actually form a bridge, which I think is as a staircase here. A staircase that you see between two messianic psalms. Psalm 2 is the prophetic rejection of God's anointed. Remember Psalm 2 told us of the nations that raged, the rulers of the world that raged and conspired against the anointed one. And yet God will wipe them out. He will rule, he will come and put away all rebellion. Now, Psalm 8 is his ultimate victory as man. Psalm 8 will be his ultimate victory as man. Now, the Psalms between Psalm 2 and Psalm 8, they finish the glue that holds these two messianic Psalms together. And so when we come to Psalm 3 to Psalm 7, it's the bridge which provides that glue, which finishes, the, that glue which holds the two messianic psalms together. Now, what do they do as a glue? They primarily describe the godly remnant of Israel during the time of the absence of the Messiah from the earth especially during that time which our Lord Jesus Christ labored the great tribulation period. You see, at the moment, Jesus Christ is not on the earth. And so we have a description of what Israel would be like, but more specifically during the great tribulation period. Now, in these five Psalms, we have the record of Israel's trials, sorrows, confusions, problems, and sins. In fact, someone would say, Israel, such a blessed nation by God, and even how God has resurrected such a small nation which had almost expired. Why is it that the Israelites themselves, some of the Jews, do not recognize the Messiah? It is because of Israel's trials, sorrows, confusion, and its problems, and also its sins. We also see their confidence in God, the promises of God, and their prayers for deliverance. Israel still prays for deliverance. Israel still has confidence in God. In fact, they hold on to the Old Testament vehemently. What they have missed to see is how God has progressed in bringing Christ. It is a sad thing that the Lord Jesus came through them, and yet they even eliminated him. Even to this day, some of them have not believed. Well... Trials and sorrows are shared by all godly people, regardless of who they are or in what period of history they live. That is also Israel's experience. They share trials and sorrows. The comfort given in these Psalms is for all of God's children, not just 
for Israel. And so as we go through these Psalms, it is important to see when God is comforting Israel that he is also comforting all of God's children. I take that comfort. It is my comfort. He loves me. He has given me comfort. Now, there are three ways to look at these Psalms, as the scholars have pointed out. The primary interpretation, of course, concerns the personal experience of David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, the king of Israel. Then there is a direct application to the nation of Israel, to the godly remnant in the great tribulation period. There is also an application to God's people everywhere at any time in the history of the world. This is why I say when you come to this book, you see an application. You see how the Psalms speak to your very situation. It is important as a good interpreter of the Bible to put it in context. But it is also important to allow the word of God to minister to you in your time in your history, in your specific situations. If you look at the Psalms from this point of view, they will become more and more meaningful to you, to me, and to the world. So, Psalm 3 is called a Psalm of David. And it is also labeled, it is a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. By the way, when I went to Israel, I still, I saw the tomb of Absalom, that memorial tomb of Absalom, still standing in the Kidron Valley. The sad thing is he was never buried in it. He rebelled against his own father. But we see now David writing this psalm as he was fleeing from his own son. The historical record of this event is in Second Samuel chapters 15 to chapter 18. This title actually tells us about the contents of this psalm. David wrote it when he was fleeing from Absalom. It tells us what went on in the heart of David when he had to flee from Jerusalem when Absalom, his son, rebelled against him. This psalm came out of the personal experience of David. So David here is not just speaking an intellectual ascent or even providing a philosophical interpretation of life. But this is coming from his very experience. He was in a difficult situation. He had become an outcast and a fugitive from his own city, Jerusalem, which is called the city of David. Today, the tower of David still stands high in the city of Jerusalem. He had been driven from the people that he ruled. Absalom, his son, was in rebellion against him and seeking his life. Can you imagine a son seeking after the life of his father, wanting to eliminate his father so that he would become a king? Absalom began even to entice the hearts of men as he met them people at the king's gate, giving an impression that if he was the one in authority, he would handle people's affairs in a much better way. 
His intention, Absalom here, was actually to put his father to death. Your heart cannot help but go out to David during this heartbreaking experience because maybe even as a king, he was going to give the kingship to his son anyway. But Absalom comes and he wants to eliminate David so that he would become king. Feel with David as you go through these psalms how he is feeling. As David fled, the enemy was on the sidelines cursing him. One of the enemy is Abshai. Abshai is one of his mighty men. He said, let me run a spear through him. As David fled, the enemy was on the sidelines, cursing him. Absh Abshai, one of David's mighty men, said, let me run a spear through him. David said, oh no, do not do it. Do not do so. In fact, we know that David loved his son so much. He would even have preferred to have all of his mighty men die and save the man. The prophet Nathan had told David that God would punish him for his sins. In Second Samuel 12, verse 11, Nathan said to David, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. Well, why should this happen, my friend? Why should this happen to David? Well, it happened because David had sinned greatly and he was not going to get away with it. You see, the principle here applied. What you saw, that you will also reap. The chickens would come home to roost. God had graciously forgiven David and restored him, but David has to reap the results of his sin. And it is in his son's rebellion that he reaps what he had sown. We find that David's enemies have increased on all sides, and that the hearts of the men of Israel are now following after Absalom. The scripture tells us the hearts of the men of Israel were after Absalom. That is Second Samuel chapter 15 verse 13. You see, Absalom was an attractive young man. He was a clever politician who was able to promise the people many good things which he could not have been able to deliver. But that's how he won the hearts of people. And politicians still do that today, by the way. They promise all the good reformations that they will bring. They will promise all the developments that they will bring to the nation or to the people in their constituency. And once they are in power, they just enjoy power and never go to the people. When elections are coming, they go again to the people. This is the clever politician we see even in Absalom. Unfortunately, he was missing God's plan. Now, during the time of Absalom's rebellion, there were many others who rose up against David. So David, being faced with enemies from every side, 
he went out of Jerusalem. And guess how he did? He went out barefoot and he was weeping. He passed over, crossed over the Kidron Valley. Even David himself crossed the Kidron Valley, running away from his son. It looked as if there was no help for him at all. With this background in mind, let us now look at Psalm chapter 3. Psalm 3 verse 1, David is speaking. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. David is speaking here out of his heart. And friend, as he leaves Jerusalem, he speaks. He realizes that he does not only have enemies. He does not only have an enemy in his son, but many have increased who are there to trouble him. They have all raised up against him. No wonder he crosses the Kidron Valley running away. Psalm 3 verse 2. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. There is no help for him. They are now saying David will not even find help. God is no longer on his side. As if to say now God is on the side of Absalom. Many say that David would find no help from God and that God had forsaken him. But God did not forsake him. Now when someone says to me, I cannot understand how God put up with a man like David. I always feel like saying, well, if God put up with David, maybe he will put up with you and me. I am so thankful that we have this kind of a God who can put up with me, who can put up with you. He puts up with people like David and he will forgive any believer who comes to him in repentance. This doesn't mean that David did not pay for his sin because ultimately he actually paid for his sin. He paid for his sin. God's help was still there. At the end of the second verse, we find even that word Silla. There has been a great deal of discussion as to the meaning of that word Sila. It occurs about 71 times in the Psalms and three times in the book of Habakkuk. Yet its exact meaning remains obscure. Perhaps the best understanding is that it indicated a musical interlude or a musical transition. The root word from which Sila is thought to come, means to lift up. Now, that has led many to believe that Sila marks a climax in the music in which the singers and the musicians are to lift up their praises to God, if you like, as a crescendo. Another suggestion is that Sila is an acronomy shorthand for a musical direction somewhat similar to modern-day notations. Now, according to this theory, Sila supposedly means change of voices or repeat from the beginning. Dr. McGee believed that the Psalms were actually set to music to be played by an orchestra and sung by great choirs. Jerusalem became famous throughout the world and the people came from near and far 
to hear the music of these psalms for the common layman who does not understand much about music. It means stop, look, and listen. Stop, look, and listen. That is the type of sign you may have at a rail crossing or at a major intersection when you are driving. When we come to these marvelous sums, we should stop, look, and listen. And so Sila reminds us to do that. That is what we should do when we come to the word of God. The word Sila probably ends the first stanza of this psalm. Now David says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and you heard me from his holy hill, Sila. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Psalm 3, verse 4 to verse 6. Now, you see, as an evening psalm, Psalm 3 has given rise to the child's bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Now, this is a good psalm with which to start the day. In spite of all the problems and the troubles that David had, he trusted in the Lord. He could sleep at night. He wasn't able to get an aspirin tablet or a sedative to put him to sleep. He simply trusted in the Lord. He pillowed his head on the promises of God and he went to sleep. What an assurance. The main assurance in this Psalm of David is that whatever our need or circumstance may be, and whether we are awake or asleep, God watches over us. He cares for us and he still sustains us. Psalm 3 is typical of other psalms of lamentations, such as Psalm 22 and Psalm 71, in that it begins with the statement of a problem in verse 1 and verse 2, which is followed by a hopeful resolution, which we see from verse 3 to verse 6. Once the problem is dealt with, an act of praise or thanksgiving typically concludes the peace, and that is what we see from verse 7 to verse 8. We know from scripture that God is a God of love who shows mercy to sinners. Psalm 103 verse 3, Matthew 9 verse 12 to 13. Yet the Psalms declare that he hates people who commit iniquity and wickedness. Psalm 5 verse 5, Psalm 11 verse 5. Now, how can we reconcile these seeming contradictory pictures of God? Well, this has been called a morning psalm. This is a good psalm with which to start the day. In spite of all the problems and the troubles that David had, he trusted in the Lord. He could sleep at night. He wasn't able to get some of the helps that we have. He simply trusted God. He pillowed his head on the promises of God and he went to sleep. I awoke and the Lord sustained me. Then David said that he would not be afraid of ten thousands of people, said even if ten thousand people set themselves against him. Even though the whole world was against him, David says 
he will not be afraid. Cromwell is considered by many to be the bravest man who ever lived. Someone asked him, What is the explanation of your bravery? Cromwell replied, Because I fear God, I have no fear of man. Martin Luther also took that position. If there were more fear of God today, there would be less of this licking of men's boots. There are some men who go around with their tongues black because they spend so much time licking the boots of men, trying to please men. Why do they do it? There is no fear of God in them. The thing that gives you courage is the fear of God, my friend. If you fear God, then you have no fear of men at all. David trusted in God. Psalm 3, verse 6 to verse 7. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. You see, it really hurts to get hit on the cheekbone, doesn't it? When you get hit there, it will really knock you out. And David probably experienced that. He says that his enemies had been smitten on the cheekbone. God had also broken the teeth of the ungodly, and they were not able to bite David anymore. Psalm 3 verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, Selah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, belongs is a word which was inserted by the translators. This is a great scripture. The Lord is the author of salvation. David never thought of salvation as a coin that you could put in your pocket and lose. No, he never thought of it as something he would have to work out. Salvation was a gift of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, he says. Then comes the word again, Sila. We are to stop, look, and listen. David had said some wonderful things about God in this psalm. For example, in verse 3, David calls God his shield. As a shield, God covers those who are his own. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, we are told to take the shield of faith as believers. David knew something about what the shield would do. He used it a great deal. God was also his glory. That is, David believed in the presence of God. The cloud of glory, you remember, was spread over Israel. It was a visible sign of the presence of God in the midst of his people. Now, my friend, today we walk by faith and the glory of God is with us. He makes himself real to those who are his own. God was also the uplifter of David's head. How could that be? God promised to build David a house and give him a blessing, a glory and a kingdom. David said, he is going to lift my head. We may be down, my friend, but he is going to lift us up. This is a marvelous psalm, is it not? Even though David was running away from his son and everyone seeming to be against him at this point, but he believed in God, that God will lift up his head. 
He is the lifter of his head, the lifter of his countenance. And that is the hope you and I have today. Even though situations may be difficult at the moment, those who love God and God knows them, he will lift them up in due time. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.